I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, we're going to talk about San Francisco's response to a state mandate that it build far more housing. You probably know that San Francisco has some of the highest housing prices in the nation. The median single-family home now goes for about $2 million. You probably also know that how housing gets built in the city is increasingly political, with NIMBYs and YIMBYs battling over who's to blame for worsening the affordability crisis. What you may not know is that San Francisco leaders must produce a plan to build more housing. This is known as a housing element. And this plan must yield 82,000 units between 2023 and 2031, with 46,000 of those homes affordable to low and moderate income residents. So what does that mean? And where are all these homes going? As my colleague J.K. Deneen explains, San Francisco has a plan now to rezone the city to allow for denser housing, particularly in West Side neighborhoods that currently aren't that dense. J.K., thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Damien. All right, JK, first, before we get into San Francisco, what is a housing element? Every city and county in the state of California has to come up with a plan every eight years. So in the Bay Area, there's an entity called ABAG, which is like a quasi-governmental agency, and they put together a number for each city for or county, and uh, that number is is called ARENA. It's like a Regional Housing Needs Assessment. And so for, in the case of San Francisco, it, the, the number is, is 82,000 units, 46,000 of which, like you mentioned, have to be affordable to low and moderate income households. All right. So these are the needs across the region that we have to just satisfy the people that we expect to live and work here. Yeah. So the the, the total number for the Bay Area is 441,000. So our share of that is pr- is pretty high. And I mean, is there an expectation we're going to get there or is it sort of a pipe dream? Well, that's a lot of housing. <laughs> we would have to build more than twice the number of units that we build during the the boomiest of the boom years. So it's going to be extremely challenging to meet those goals. All right. So in recent days, San Francisco did come out with this plan. They had a a deadline. What does that plan look like? They're now on their fourth draft. And basically, if you just taking the last 20 years in San Francisco, the city has rezoned quite a few neighborhoods on the east side of town. So that's your Trans Bay. Yeah, that's your South Financial District, your South of Market. That's your Market Octavia kind of up around Hayes Valley and Upper Market Street. Mission Bay, Dog Patch. Yeah, Mission Bay. So then as part of Eastern neighborhoods, you had you had Dog Patch, Potrero, Eastern Mission. You know, then you had, um, you know, sort of like Pier 70 and Potrero Power Plant and all these big uh, mega projects that have been uh, out in the Bayview. You had the Shipyard and you had Candlestick Point and... And a lot of those neighborhoods where that housing was planned are neighborhoods with where there is far less resistance to housing, less organized neighborhoods, fewer litigious lawyers, you know, <laughs> with plenty of time on their hands, more working class neighborhoods or industrial neighborhoods. So you didn't have, you know, as many kind of homeowners looking to protect their turf, looking to keep things the same, looking to preserve neighborhood character. And so 
there was a lot of housing built in those neighborhoods, and there still will be some. But what this housing element tries to do is say, how about the rest of the city, the 80% of the city that we haven't been building in, where there is public transit, where there is plenty of room to grow, where you could build six or eight-story apartment buildings on busy streets like Geary, like Sloat, Judah, Noriega, 19th Avenue, Ocean Avenue, Irving, West Portal Ave. You've got a lot of um, single-story commercial buildings. You've got gas stations. You've got vacant parking lots. So there, there is opportunity to, to build in those neighborhoods. And they're considered high-resource, meaning they have grocery shopping. They have really good schools. They have churches. They have awesome playgrounds and ball fields. And they're great places for families to live. But there are also neighborhoods that, since the 1970s, have been largely downzoned to prevent apartments. And so they've really, they're really mostly zoned for single-family homes. So the city is saying, we need to look at putting a lot of this new housing in those places. And one of the arguments is these neighborhoods over time have excluded a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, some of it's been, you know, there was a big pushback in the 70s against, you know, Man- Manhattanization and, and everything that that represented to to San Francisco. There was a lot of thought that some of the buildings that, that were built downtown um, in the 70s were unattractive or not in keeping with the character of, of what people sort of thought that this historic walkable city should be all about. And so those neighborhoods were 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 kind of frozen in time in much of the city. And so the zoning kept developers out. And then in addition to that, of course, there was, you know, homeowners who didn't want their backyard shadowed or didn't want their, you know, parking can be tough out there by the beach or whatever. And people people didn't want their views obstructed. They didn't want it to make it more difficult to park. They didn't want the additional traffic. And so, yeah, there hasn't been a hell of a lot built on the west side of San Francisco in a, in a long time. Okay, but have, have those feelings changed or are we about to see a lot of those saying arguments? I imagine a lot of people on the west side aren't going to be happy. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who, who, who don't want to see development, who don't want to see apartments, who like things the way there are. But there are also a lot of young people, you know, living out there trying to raise families, trying to afford a home, trying to afford rent you know, who want to stay in the city, who don't want to move back to, you know, to wherever they came from or a cheaper place, or who grew up in the city and want to stay. Then you also have parents who are like, God, you know, I'd love to have my my grandkids like four blocks away and I could pick them up from school and, and you know, just kind of the, the like the Sesame Street, like city neighborhood living that that people move to cities to get in the first place. Like that's really hard right now when you know unless you're lucky enough to to you know maybe you you grow up in a in a two unit building and you're you know they, then you're that's the exception though most people don't have anything like that and they and you know they're on their own and and um and so they end up leaving the city or you know they're living 2000 miles from their parents or I do think that but the combination of of young people, call them yimbies, call them whatever you want, and the realization from a, a certain percentage of older people who realize that the city has become so unaffordable that 
they're going to have to sacrifice some things that they love about the city in order to make it uh, more welcoming. All right, let's take a quick break, JK. When we come back on Fifth and Mission, I want to ask you more about tension that might come up on the West Side and also all of the impediments to housing now in San Francisco. We'll be right back. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa, joined by Chronicle housing reporter J.K. Deneen. We're talking about the city's new housing element, a plan to build tens of thousands more units in the coming years. J.K., I want to understand, for this housing element, does the city have to plan for this housing or they have to build this housing? The city doesn't build the housing itself, but they have to plan for it in a way that not only rezones areas to accommodate more units, taller buildings, more density, they also have to look at current obstacles. So, you know, why is it that San Francisco has the longest approval period in the entire state of California? Like, where are projects getting hung up? along the way between when the application is filed and when the, the you know the, it's it's approved and permitted so the city has taken a hard look at its at department of building inspection like their whole permitting of new projects plus the planning commission plus the board of supervisors so they need to look at all along the way at what is making it take so long and then there's also the question of of you know, making it uh, more affordable to build. And that that's a tough nut to crack too in terms of right now, that's a bigger obstacle than the political barriers. You know, just the fact that construction costs are so high, rents and home values are, are have softened somewhat and, you know, interest rates are higher and materials are higher and labor's higher. And so, the state is also asking the city to take a look at what the city can do to help on that end as well. So, you know, things like fees, and we have all kinds of fees in San Francisco. We have hundreds and thousands of dollars of fees if you add them all up, depending on the area, you know, and then we have inclusionary housing requirements. So right now you have to make 22% of a project affordable to below market rate households. So there, and there's a contradiction there. The state's saying you got to build 46,000 affordable units, but at the same time, developers are saying, you know, if we have to make 22% of the of the, you know, of this project affordable, it it doesn't work. There I can't do. I can't, yeah, it doesn't you know, pencil I'm not going to get a saying. loan from the bank. Um, you know, or from the pension for the union pension fund or the insurance company or whoever funds these projects. Okay. So, so JK, I mean, we have on the ballot in November, props D and E, which are dueling housing initiatives that go to some of the requirements you talk about. We have a, a, a statewide probe into San Francisco's housing practices. This element, is it going to move us past some of these impediments? It's going to be hard. I mean, I think D and E both do expedite some housing in terms of the approval process, but they also both add to the inclusionary housing requirement. I mean, D would bring it 
up by just like three percentage points. Um, so if you had a hundred unit project instead of twenty two units of affordable, you'd have to do twenty five. E would increase that from twenty two to thirty. So that, that's a, a pretty significant increase in the number of, of below market rate units you'd have to. So at the same time, they're making it easier to get stuff approved, but making it maybe more expensive to actually build it. Plus, both D and E have labor requirements. E's labor requirement is is much more stringent because it requires that all of the workers on the job have uh, gone through um, state-approved apprenticeship programs. So you know you're t- you're talking um, you know, that's that's going to make the make the project more expensive. A lot of people would argue it will make it you know better and safer. And I mean, there's there's lots of good arguments for for high labor standards. Just to be clear, we're talking about extra requirements if you want expedited approval. In your project. Exactly. Okay. Let's get back to the West Side, JK. You mentioned, you know, gas station lots, empty lots, but but what about, you know, perhaps places that have two-story housing now? Or is there some thought that perhaps you're gonna see whole blocks go from two stories to I don't know, six, eight, ten? No, I mean most of the like the avenues. So the the streets that they're looking at upzoning are more the commercial corridors, right? And they don't have a lot of single-family homes on them. Most of the the avenues, which are basically the, the the side streets, there's fourplex legislation. That's another whole thing. But the the thought is probably that there that would be more like duplexes going to four units or single-family homes on the corner going to four units. So much more lo, low-scale, gentle infill. Um, you know, maybe you know there's a vacant lot on a you know in the middle of a of a of a residential block that that you could do you know four one bedroom apartments stuff like that. But on a place like Geary, yeah, Geary. But if you look at it, you know, Geary had eight story buildings, especially the Richmond. the The Sunset District has a couple of six to eight story, beautiful old apartment buildings that were that were built before the neighborhood was down zone. And the Sunset has a couple. Uh, the Richmond has a lot of them. And so it would be more of that, actually, more of what was built before the west side of town was was downzoned in the 70s. So there is a precedent. It's not like it would be completely out of character. All right. You mentioned that there's a November 15th hearing in front of the Board of Supervisors on the housing element. Obviously, people can can listen in. They can take part. What needs to be discussed there? And what do the Board of Supervisors need to do? Right. So the planning commission has been meeting every month on the housing element. The board of supervisors just called for a special hearing because they felt like, um, you know, we're deep in this process and they wanted to have a voice in it. Now, the planning department has been meeting individually with members of the board of supervisors. But at this point, the board of supervisors don't really have an official role. The, The supervisors that called for the hearing, uh, Supervisor Melgar and Supervisor Marr, both represent districts that could conceivably get a lot of this new housing. And so they want to be able to to help shape the discussion. And I'm sure they already are, you know, in, in private in meetings with, with city planners. But they wanted to kind of bring that into the public realm, allow their constituents a chance to, to weigh in. But in the end, you know, the, it'll go through the planning commission and then it'll go to the board of supervisors for a final vote up or down but they won't really have an opportunity to amend it or change it it's it's just they 
will approve it or not approve it. And in the end, JK, a lot of these projects that may end up happening after an area in the west side perhaps is, is upzoned, some of these projects that meet the housing element, are they still going to come down at times to really contentious votes on the Board of Supervisors? Well, they shouldn't. I mean, it, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. But no, it, I mean, discretionary review, which is the process where neighbors are able to appeal projects that were approved at the Planning Commission to the Board of Supervisors. If all of this goes as planned, along with other new state laws that have been passed, the Board of Supervisors wouldn't have a role in whether these projects can go forward or not. There is, as part of the housing element, something called the builder's remedy. And so if San Francisco doesn't uh, pass a compliant housing element, or if it passes a compliant housing element, but it's found to be in violation, like it doesn't do the stuff that it says it's going to do, the state law can take away local control. And, and then the Board of Supervisors wouldn't, wouldn't have any um, jurisdiction at all. And of course, then we would still need to have it pencil out for the developer. Right, exactly. And then there's the whole question of affordable housing, which is, you know, right now funded through many different mechanisms, you know, federal money, state money, most, mostly through low-income housing tax credits and affordable housing bonds. And, you know, so uh, San Francisco has done, uh, in the last cycle, didn't do a great job of meeting its affordable housing goals. going to have to do a lot better this time, but the question is where the money is going to come from, especially since it's you know we're we're paying about a, close to a million dollars a unit uh, in 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 some cases uh, for affordable housing. J.K. Deneen, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Damien. Thanks to my guest today. He's Chronicle reporter J.K. Deneen. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs> 